Turn with me, please, to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We're beginning a new series this morning. Back in October, I was up speaking in the Northeast, and the Lord gave me uh, the message that is the uh, beginning point of this series. And I didn't know it at that time, but uh, later on, he helped me to see that we were to get into this as a church and uh, camp on it like we do. You know, we'll go for weeks and or months on it. And uh, so I want you to, asking you to uh, release faith with me now, please, for utterance and for anointing, because uh, a lot of these things that we're teaching, you know, I've never taught them before. And uh, some of them I didn't hear uh, anybody else teach. And so as you're doing this, you know, uh, like last night, I I knew some of this, but as you delve into the scriptures, you begin to see how big it is. And, and uh, I looked up, and it was 2.30, and I thought, man, I need to go to sleep. So <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So believe with me right now, please, because, yes. you know, I got enough scriptures we could go for 10 hours today, but we, we got to par that down, right, to, to the next few minutes. Don't get scared. The, the, the next few minutes, although it wouldn't hurt you. Right? But believe with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, we agree together as touching this, asking you for utterance, the very specific oracles of God that we may hear not not a man, but you. Lord, exactly what you would say to us and show us right now today and then in these days about these things. Open all of us, our eyes and ears and hearts and minds, that we can see what you're, and hear what you're saying, and see what you're doing, and perceive and understand it, and receive it. We believe in you. We trust you. We want to hear it. We want to know. And by your grace, we purpose not to ignore it or disrespect it, but to hold on to it and to do it, incorporate it into our lives And not just be those that listen, but those who practice. We ask for your utterance and grace and help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In uh, Philippians, the third chapter. And we'll begin here in about the uh, 12th verse. Philippians 3.12. He says, Not as though... I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now by this point, you've lost a lot of people usually. (laughs) The King James... And the language and the structure, folks think, well, I'm sure that's important, but they really don't have a clue what he's talking about. (laughs) Keep reading. Don't despair. We're going to camp on this until we we get it. He said, uh, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
Keep going. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Now, this is the second time he's used that word perfect. Now, when we hear the word perfect in modern vernacular, most folks, they don't even pay much attention to it because nobody's perfect. And the implication is nobody could be. And if you believe that, then you can't accept all the scriptures that are in the Bible about perfection. (laughs) I'm getting some looks across the crowd. Let me finish reading this and we'll show some other scriptures. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. What's he talking about? I don't count myself to have apprehended or to be perfect. And those of you, as many as of you that are perfect, be thus minded. Well, obviously... There is some that are perfect according to Scripture. (laughs) So perhaps he means something different than what we think when we hear the word perfect. The word perfect basically means complete. To be complete, to develop. To its end. To finish. To full development. Or full maturity. That's what perfect means. In these verses. Many like them. And we are called. To perfection. Which means we are called. To develop. Until we are completely mature. We are called. To develop. Until we finish. And and are fulfilled. In what he's called us to be. And Paul said. I don't count myself. To have arrived at that. At being fully developed. At being completely developed. But. This one thing I do, I'm forgetting everything that's behind me and I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Another word for that? Perfection. What kind of perfection? Christ-like perfection. Being like Him. That is perfection. There are some religious ideas and phrases we need to get rid of and let our minds get renewed with the Word of God. The two I just mentioned, nobody's perfect. Well, obviously, nobody's flawless, mistake-free. That's what we think when we hear the word perfect. But the implication is nobody can be. And so if you can't be anyway, why try? (laughs) 
which is exactly where the enemy wanted you to wind up. So people are not even trying because I can't. I mean, nobody's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus is perfect. He was. He walked a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. He had a perfect prayer life when he was on the earth. His ministry was perfect. And he said, if you believe on me, the works I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. The scripture said, he that says he abides in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked. How did he walk? Perfectly. Right? But see, the enemy will try to get you to believe I can't do that. Well then, how you, how you going? What are you going to do with these verses? You want to tell the Lord, I'm sorry. I know you said do it, but I know I can't. <laughs> we need mind renewal. I said we need mind renewal, and we need a revelation of what's possible and what God has called us to. What He's called us to. Is perfection. Not perfection of flesh. We will never be perfect in flesh. Not perfection of knowledge. In this lifetime. We will never achieve perfection in knowledge. But what? Perfection of heart. Which is not only possible. It's our call. Hallelujah. It's what we're told to do. And to be. What does it mean to have a perfect heart? I'm I'm doing some broad strokes here. You understand? And we're going to come back and give you. I could give you as much scripture as you could load up. You know. But I'm giving you some broad strokes. Then we'll come back and fill in the blanks. Anybody remember the scripture? The eyes of the Lord. Search to and fro. Throughout the whole earth. Searching for what? He's searching. He wants to show himself strong. On the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Whose what? Heart. Not head. Your head's never going to be perfect in this lifetime. Not flesh. Your flesh is never going to be perfect. In this lifetime. But your heart can be perfect every day of your life. What does that mean? If you look at other scriptures and and look up some of the words. It means whose heart is whole. Who is whole hearted toward him. What does perfect mean? Complete. All of it. All the way. That begins to give you understanding on why the Lord says, I I wish you were hot or cold. Rather than lukewarm. What lukewarm is not okay. Half-hearted. Not okay. That's half-hearted is what makes you imperfect. Not lack of knowledge. 
not mistakes that we've made in the flesh. And I understand there's no excuse for being half-hearted. There's no, there's no justifiable reason. There's forgiveness, thank the Lord, but there's no excuse. Why be half-hearted towards the Lord? Nobody has to be. But if we choose to be whole-hearted, and we choose to follow Him wholly, completely, then we are on the path to perfection in God's eyes. We would look at a person and see their flaws and see their ignorance and see their mistakes and see this and that and say, oh, they are very imperfect. But the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You see all the imperfections, but God looks at the heart. And if your heart is 100% for him, doing everything you know to seek him and please him and follow him, he looks at that and goes, perfect. And if God says it's perfect, don't correct him. Don't bring up all the other stuff. He knows it. It's just not as important to him as it is to the carnal man or woman who only sees what's out here. <laughs> Listen to some scriptures. In Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28. Excuse me, 48, 48. 48 is what I want you. Matthew 5, 48. The master said, Be ye what? Be ye therefore perfect. How? Even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, how many Christians even take that verse seriously? (laughs) What do most Christians believe? Help me out. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. Where's that verse? Where is that verse? I mean, if you're going to be so strong about it, where's that verse? Where does it say? Come, some, help me out. Chapter and verse, nobody's perfect. For one thing, we know Jesus is perfect. So that knocks that one out. Because he's somebody. So nobody's perfect. We know that can't be true. Jesus is. Be you. You be perfect. So we need a a mind renewal of what God calls perfect. And and get our mind changed from our definition and get his definition. Say it out loud. Father God. God. I'm willing willing to receive your word. Help me me. to be renewed renewed. in my heart and mind and and to see what you mean mean. when you say perfect. perfect. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is 
perfect. Look in Luke 6.40. Jesus said, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as or just like his master. Who's our master? Jesus. Is he perfect? Perfect. Perfect. Who are we following? We're not just believers. We are followers. We are disciples. Why are we following the master? To be like the master. Why does any apprentice follow and work with a master? To learn to do what they do. And to do it on the level they do it on. We are in apprenticeship, discipleship, with the head of the church, the master. Hallelujah. And he said, none of you are going to be above me. How many could acknowledge that? We're not going to pass him. (laughs) And see, uh, this is Jesus. This is not religion. Religion would scoff at even bringing this up. But the master told us, now you're not going to pass me. But if you'll stay with me, I'll get you to the place where you're just like me. (laughs) Which is perfect. (laughs) Most Christians don't believe this. They do not believe this. So we need to make up our mind whether we do or not. Whether you understand it or not, you can accept it by faith. Has the Lord called us to come up from where we are? Has he? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. The Lord prompted me about something before we go to some other scriptures here concerning an elder in the faith. When I call his name, every one of you going to know him. And I didn't know that he had said any of these things. Only recently found this out. But the Lord had said those things to him that were what I, the Lord was showing me back in October. There in another state, another church. He had said these things years ago. About three years ago. These specific things. He is our beloved brother, Billy Graham. Brother Billy Graham is a gift from God to the earth, to the body of Christ. One of the most respected, highly regarded, both among Christians and non-Christians. Advisor to, I don't know. Half a dozen presidents, eight presidents or something. God used him to lead millions to the Lord. And his broadcast and his ministry has reached billions over the course of some 70 years in ministry. He was born in 1918. Still alive. He must be 97 or 98 now. His beloved wife went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. 
And uh, the scripture tells us to hold our elders in high regard and to listen and submit. And I want to read something to you that he said about the modern state of the church. He just said this a couple years ago. He said, being a Christian is more than an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. (laughs) That's big. That's big. Isn't that what these verses are talking about? He went on to say, now listen to this. Many churches, this is, I'm quoting Brother Graham. Many churches of all persuasions are hiring research agencies to poll neighborhoods and asking what kind of church they prefer. Then the local churches design themselves to fit the desires of the people. True faith in God that demands selflessness is being replaced by trendy religion that serves the selfish. He said our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. (laughs) Hmm. He said, if there's no change in a person's life, he or she must question whether or not they possess the salvation the gospel proclaims. Many who go to church have not had a life-changing transformation in Christ. Those outside the church expect followers of Christ to live differently. Yet today, many in the church are chasing after the world. Not to win them, but to be like them. This is dangerous. It should not be surprising if people believe easily in a God who makes no demands. But this is not the God of the Bible. Satan has cleverly misled people by whispering that they can believe in Jesus without being changed. But this is the devil's lie. To those who say you can have Christ without giving anything up, Satan is deceiving you. Hmm. He said more. But do you hear the tenor of it, the spirit of it? There is, the the Lord gave me this phrase that I believe is in line with what he's talking about. Many have changed the gospel that the basic message is love and acceptance instead of love and repentance. And there is an implication that the Lord has done everything 
And you don't need to do anything. And you just believe. And that's it. And many. They emphasize our church is not like old fashioned church. Our church is modern. And the Lord doesn't care. He doesn't care about how you look. About what you do. About how you dress. About how you talk. I mean Jesus has already paid for all your sins. It doesn't make any difference. He loves you as you are. And he has accepted you as you are. (laughs) It's quiet in this church. When you say it like that. It's not true. It's not true. People say, well, we sing just as you are, as I am, without one plea. Come just as you are. Yes, yes, come as you are. But don't stay as you are. No. God does love us right now, right where we are. But that doesn't mean he loves all of our ungodly, fleshy ways. And you shouldn't love them either. Now, we're not talking about trying to do things to be saved. We can't do that. Our righteousness is bought and paid for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By the spotless blood of the Lamb. We're not talking about trying to do something to be accepted of Him. To make heaven. To be righteous. No, completely different thing. But when we are born again, we're born a baby. An infant. With a mind that needs to be renewed. And a flesh that'll do anything you let it do. (laughs) And we immediately should embark on the path towards Christ-like perfection. Of getting our mind renewed to think like Him. And keeping our body under control. Come on, are you with me? Will you arrive at this Christ-like perfection in three days or three months or three years? No, you won't. Even Paul, after years and multiple visitations by the head of the church, what did he say? I don't count myself to have arrived. But what? But I'm not sitting here saying nobody's perfect. I'm not sitting here saying, "Ah, why even try? I'm forgetting about all my mistakes and my shortcomings and even my successes, and I'm pressing on. Hallelujah. I'm reaching on. I'm pressing on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the, the high calling? Christ Jesus. What is the prize? What is the high mark? What is the pinnacle? Jesus. Being just like Jesus. And if you and I are not doing everything we know to be more like him today than we were yesterday, we're coming short. We're being half-hearted. Not about perfection of mind or knowledge or flesh, but perfection of Heart. And it begins with a desire 
to be like him. And a faith to believe that if he said you could be, then you can be. Not only have you been recreated in Christ Jesus in spirit, but that you can live like the master. Hallelujah. You can pray like the master. You can talk like the master. You can walk like the master. You can please the father every day and every night like the master. If you come short of it, you repent. But you don't lay down and cry and say there's no use. You get up. You come back to bad again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go with me please to the book of Hebrews. 12th chapter. Hebrews 12. I'm excited about this series. And if you're not, I believe you will be before it's over with. Because what we're talking about, what the Bible's talking about, is very exciting. Because we're not just talking about what God's called us to and what's possible. We're going to get into detail into how. How. Because what happened when I was up there in the Northeast in October is while I was laying across the bed praying in my hotel room, the Lord showed me something I'd never seen before, wasn't it? what I'm about to read to you. Hallelujah. And it is how. Thank you, Lord. How he does it. And we can begin. It's something that the devil fights. Oh, he hates it. He fights it. As we say, tooth and toenail. (laughs) But uh, too late. We're going to get it. Right? We're already on it. And we're going to embrace it. No matter how much the world despises it. Or the devil hates it because if the Lord said this is the way, then this is the way. Anybody read Hebrews 11? What's it about? What does it start off with? Now faith is. And the whole chapter, verse after verse, is about how David had faith and Elijah had faith and Daniel had faith. I mean, Abraham had faith. And, and what they said and what they did as to how they had faith. And in the 10th chapter, he, excuse me, the end of the 11th chapter, I should say, he, he, he mentions perfection. And then in the 12th chapter, he goes into it in detail. I want to read this to you from the Amplified. Start in Hebrews 12, 1 with the Amplified. Therefore, now this wasn't written in chapter and verse. So since all of these people had faith and overcame and glorified God in their life through their faith. Since then we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. They had their time on the earth. And they lived it. And these people in this 11th chapter... They honored God with their faith and pleased God with their faith and had miracles and overcame. And he mentions a handful of the exploits. But what he's saying, now he's turning his attention to us. Now it's our time. We're here. We're running our faith race. And we got a, a cloud of witnesses 
surrounding us. I, I can almost hear Paul, the apostle, say sometimes. I can almost hear him. Keith, Keith, if I had had a jet airplane and the internet, <laughs> what would he have done? What did he do with boats and donkeys and scrolls? I can almost hear him sometimes. Keith, get after it, boy. Get after it, man. <laughs> that kind of thing's what he's talking about. We have reason to believe that these patriarchs and even our own loved ones that have gone to heaven could be aware of especially some spiritual and kingdom things that are happening with us in the earth. Now, they may not know or care if you get a new dress or a new car or, you understand, that kind of stuff. But when somebody comes to the Lord or comes back to the Lord, when some of God's work gets accomplished and done, I believe there are indications like this, that they are aware of it. And we've got a cloud of witnesses. And since we have these witnesses, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and the sin which so readily, deftly, cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady, active persistence the appointed course of the race that's set before us. Now let's just stop right here. Does this sound like the Lord's already done everything for us and we don't need to do anything? Uh Uh-uh. He has already done everything for us in paying for our sins, in giving us his righteousness. But he's not done all of our development for us. He has, he's not run our race for us. That's my race. That's your race. Come on, can you see this? Keep going. Verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and source of our faith and also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. In fact, that word finisher could be translated perfecter. Perfecter is the same word. Jesus is the author and the finisher. He is the perfecter of our faith. And our faith is not just something we use to believe in once in a while. Our faith is what we live by. Day in, day out. This is our, if we live a faith life, this is the perfecter of our life. He for the joy that was set before him of obtaining the prize. Does that sound familiar? He endured the cross. Now here's a very important phrase. Despising and ignoring the shame. Get this, saints. What should we do with shame? We should despise it. Amplified says ignore it too. Now, this is a mind renewal most folks don't have. What do you do with shame? You don't receive it. You don't nurse it. What do you do? You despise The shame. Now in a moment we're going to see he's contrasting despise this, not this. It's a choice. 
He despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep going. Think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. What does it mean to faint? Another way of saying faint is that you quit. You stop, you give up. I mean, if you're doing something, if you're walking and you fainted, you're no longer walking. If you're running and you fainted, you're no longer running, which is what he was talking about, running your race. So faint is equal to stop. You're no longer doing it. You're no longer even trying to do it. You have fainted. Back up to three again. He's cautioning us not to grow weary or exhausted or lose heart or relax or faint in your minds. Verse 4. You've not yet struggled and fought agonizingly against sin, nor have you resisted and withstood to the point of pouring out your own blood. Or it just says two blood. We know Jesus resisted the temptation not to go through with what God had called him to do in the garden to the point that blood came out of his pores. He resisted to blood. We know what was going on because what did he pray in the garden? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he'd come back to, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Was it easy him running his race and finishing his race all the way to the end? Keep going. And have you completely forgotten the divine word of appeal and encouragement in which you are reasoned with and addressed as sons? My son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage and give up and faint when you are reproved or corrected by him. What he's contrasting is don't despise the correction despise the shame. Everybody said out loud. Don't despise the correction. Despise the shame. Despise the shame, not the correction. Keep reading. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves and punishes, even scourges every son whom he welcomes accepts and welcomes to his heart and cherishes. Now, has he changed subjects? This all flows together. He was talking about faith. He's talking about Jesus being the author and perfecter of your faith. And now what's he talking about? Correction. Correction. Maybe the most unpopular subject. In the world, in church, everywhere. Why is it that if someone corrects you, oftentimes people take it as the greatest personal insult, the biggest put down, and causes the greatest hurt and anger? Why? Why would this be? Do we not need correction? We do. Who needs correction? Three people. 
<laughs> Who needs correction? Let me back up. How many at this present hour have already arrived at Christ-like perfection? Just like you are. Have you ever heard people say, you're perfect. Just like you are. Now, who really believes that? (laughs) Who really believes that? You're perfect. Just like you are. If you are, then you do not need to develop. You don't need to grow. You're there. And Christ-like perfection today. Paul said he wasn't. How many believe he was way down the road? And he said, I'm not. But I'm pressing on. If we have not arrived at Christ-like perfection, if we only know in part, if in many ways we are babies and infants in understanding, then that means if we only know in part, there's a whole lot of parts we don't know about and are wrong about. Which means we need correction. We need a lot of correction. Can you see how excited everybody's getting? (laughs) We were flying over, what was it, a day or two ago from Branson to here in our little plane. And we were at uh, 35,000 feet doing about 500 miles an hour. And the winds were 135 miles an hour. Headwinds. No, excuse me. Quartering tailwind, which is why we were going fast. Which means it's hitting us kind of from this side. Well, the path from Branson to Sarasota, you know, we can draw a straight line almost. We've got to do a few little things when we get down here maneuvering. But, but that wind is coming from over here, blowing you off course. Can you imagine a 135 mile an hour wind? That's a hurricane. Uh, And it's just blowing steady against the side of that plane. So what must you do? You must, if I just try to fly, we put it in the FMS and it says heading of such and such from here to there. Okay, I take off, I set that heading and sit back and and drink a tea and go to take a nap. No, I don't don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) If... Sometimes Phyllis is someone back says, I'm going to take a nap. And I say, yeah, me too. <laughs> but I, you, we don't. We can't. But uh, if we our course is perfect, it's perfectly calculated, and we take off and we don't change that course, we're going to miss the whole state of Florida. Yeah. Is that right? Because the wind is going to blow us off course. In fact, you, planes don't normally fly like this. They usually fly like this or like this. You say, what? Yes, you're moving like this, but your nose has to be pointed into that wind. Elsewise, it blows you off course. And you can see the autopilot, I mean, like every second or so, sometimes more often than that, it's making a minute correction, minute correction, minute correction to keep it right on the bead in this life. There's all manner of things trying to blow you off course. Come on, are you with me? Trying to, there are there any winds of doctrine? 
Are there any things and temptations and pulls and trying to push you? If you never make any corrections, you're going to miss it big time. You're going to be way off course and way out of the place where you should be. Do you need a correction? And if you're way off course, you need a major correction. And major corrections can be traumatic. Let's say we're flying along and I didn't pay attention and we're about to run into a mountain. I'm way off course. I'm not where I should be. Do you want me to be more concerned about offending your sensibilities and possibly scaring you or spilling your root beer? (laughs) Or if necessary, pitch you out in the floor and make a radical correction, but don't hit that mountain. Which one? Which one you want to do? If you're far enough off course, you need a radical correction. And those can be traumatic to our flesh, shocking to us. And yet the people or whoever's involved in that major correction, if it's godly correction, they're not trying to insult you. They're not trying to hurt you. They're doing it because they love you. And can you see? He said, those the Lord loves, he corrects. And yet the enemy has caused most people, many people, instead of despising the shame, they despise correction. They do not see it as love. They see it as put down. They see it as insulting. Well, friend... What kind of arrogance and pride is it to act like you never, ever need any kind of correction about anything? No. Look at your neighbor. Help them out. Say, you need to change. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) You need some correction. A lot. You need a lot of correction. And here's the question. The Lord's already told us he gives it. Here's the other question. Will you receive it? Uh, Phyllis and I know from experience, a whole lot of people, even good people, they will not. They won't receive any correction. We're second generation now. After the so-called rebellion of the 60s and flower power and all that. Of people who raised children with no correction. And they're a mess too. Now you got adults who've raised their children like that. You hear people say, oh my such and such, they're such an angel, I never need to correct them. Then they're messed up then. I can tell you that. There's no such thing as a child or an adult. You or me who never needs correction. The big thing today I want us to begin to get hold of and lay hold of is just how we see correction. Now we're going to get into some detail as the Lord helps us. Let me tell you one big thing correction is not. It's not condemnation. Correction is not condemnation. They are not the same thing at all. The reason for godly correction is not to prove to you I'm right and you're wrong. Come on. 
The purpose of godly correction is not to demonstrate I win, you lose, you're a dummy. No, why does God correct us? Because he loves us. He loves us. And love will tell you the truth. Even when it's not desired. Even when it's not complimentary. But why would love tell you the truth when it's not pretty? Because the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. And this is not about making you feel bad or putting you down or insulting you or hurting you or angering you. It's about helping you not get blown out of your course and out of your way, not crash on the side of a hill. It's about you getting on course and staying on course and winding up exactly where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing, acting like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, walking like Jesus. And in order for that to happen, it's going to take development. From where we are. Change. Correction. And the ones that are willing to receive it. Will rise up. Hallelujah. And move forward and get free. The ones who are not. Will stay in their immaturity. And waste valuable precious years of life. And you wait too long. And you be hard headed and disobedient rebellious too long. You miss windows of opportunity. You just run out of time. Because some things take time. And if you blow 30 years, 40 years, 50 years because of being hard-headed and won't receive any correction or instruction, you can wake up and realize, well, I can make some progress, but I can't get to that point yet. God's merciful. But some people wake up when they're breathing their last breath and realize, man, I've wasted so much. I was so hard-headed. Well, God's on the throne. You're still alive. There's still time. If we've wasted some, let's don't waste another day. If we've been hard-headed, let's stop it right now today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep reading. We'll finish in this passage, I believe. In Hebrews 12. The Lord corrects and disciplines who? Does he love you? Now, see, a whole lot of people want to talk about the love of God. God loves you. But then they'll warp it. He loves you just the way you are. Implying, once you're born again, that's it. There's nothing you can do or should do. But the truth is, God loves you. Now he's going to correct you. (laughs) Is that truth or not? Is that a popular message among many? No, it is not. But it's the truth. And the mind renewal is, instead of being insulted, realize, I'm being loved right now. (laughs) Why'd they correct me? They love me. They loved me. <laughs> I mean, I, we were in martial arts back back when I was a boy and a teenager. 
old school uh, cement floors and no pads. Our instructors were very old school. And uh, they would tell you for two or three times how to do a certain thing. And then if you didn't pay attention, next thing you'd do, you'd feel a foot upside your head or or your legs would be swept out from under you and you'd bounce off the floor. And the correct response was always, thank you, sir. (laughs) Why? Well, I wasn't getting it through regular instruction. So (laughs) you're care enough about my training and development to add to my instruction and help me get it. Well, men, as he goes on to say, in fact, we'll keep reading it. The Lord corrects and disciplines everyone he loves. Verse 7. You must submit to and endure correction for discipline. God's dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not train and correct and discipline? Keep reading. If you're exempt from correction and left without discipline, which all God's children share, then you are not Excuse me, you are illegitimate offspring and not true sons at all. No correction means you're not a son. You're not a child. Moreover, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to them and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more cheerfully, everybody say cheerfully, cheerfully, cheerfully submit to the Father of spirits and so truly live? Our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But he disciplines us for our certain good. There's no condemnation in it. It's not from a standpoint of proving to you he's right, you're wrong. It's only for your good because he loves you. And if this is not corrected, it's going to hurt you and cause you a problem. But the devil will come, when God's trying to correct you, the devil will come immediately and say, they're putting you down. They believe bad things about you. They're trying to lord it over you. Why? He wants you to despise correction and not receive it. But in doing so, you're despising the Father's love and rejecting his help. No, if something shows up, you know, humility is a big part of what we're talking about. If something shows up that you got off course, you messed up, you made a mistake, it's time to acknowledge it. It's time to acknowledge with Paul, I have not yet arrived. But I'm not giving up. I'm not fainting. I'm not quitting. You know what fainting sounds like? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. You know what fainting sounds like? I can't ever do anything right. Everything I do. It's not good enough. Never Everything I do is not good enough. Not good enough. And again and again, that's just a lie. You've been corrected three times in a month or six months. And the problem was refusing to receive even any correction. None. Everything I do is wrong. Lying. Can't ever do anything right. That's feigning. That's looking for an excuse to give up and to quit. And to be uh, something to justify rebellion. See how exciting? (laughs) They chastised us according to what seemed good to them. Best they knew. But he disciplines us for our certain good. Why? 
that we may be partakers or sharers of his holiness. What is holiness? Let me give you one of the best definitions I've ever heard. My father in the faith, Kenneth Hagin, gave it. What is holiness? Real holiness? It's not a list of do's and don'ts that some group came up with. Real holiness is Christ-likeness. Being like him. So when the Lord says, see all these heroes of faith? Now you're in your faith race. And you're not alone. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith, your faith life, your faith walk, your faith race. And then for these next many verses, he tells us how he's going to perfect us through correcting us. He's going to adjust you here, adjust you there, correct you here, adjust you there. Why? He's not putting you down. It's ignorant to think you don't need it. How prideful is it to be shocked that I'd need some correction? You think I need to improve? Oh, yeah. You got that right. You and me. All of us. (laughs) Let's quit being babies. Let's quit wearing our feelings on our sleeve. Let's quit believing lies. Let's quit letting the enemy confuse us. Quit despising love's correction. Despise the shame. Despise the embarrassment. Humble yourself. Say yes. And if you feel like you just got bounced off the floor, do what I used to do. Thank you, sir. Didn't hurt me. Help me out. Stand on your feet. That's enough for now. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Close your eyes. Phyllis, would you please come? Thank you, Lord. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Sit out loud, Father God. I do believe that you love me. And you said that those you love, you correct. That it is your love when you're correcting me. I do desire to grow up, not be immature, not be fleshy, worldly ungodly but to be just like the master in every way I know that's what you've called me to and you've graced me to do in Jesus name hallelujah hallelujah oh hallelujah thank you Lord just focus on him just a moment further here look to him hallelujah thank you Lord big changes (laughs) ha ha good changes oh thank you Lord 
Somebody needs to say, I'm willing to change. I'm willing. I will receive. Love's correction. I will receive. Change. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just worship him some saints. He's, he's touching hearts right now. Ministering to minds and souls. Oh, don't let the devil trick you and fool you. And deceive you. Oh, we push all that aside. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.